Christmas time is here. <laughs> Very soft. I might have to take this seal it for me. <laughs> no, no, it's better. <laughs> it is. It's one of my it's one of my favorite. I buy a new Christmas sweater every year even though it's Florida and it's like a hundred degrees on Christmas. <laughs> Even though it's like 100 degrees on Christmas, I have a tradition where I wear a onesie to open presents. Oh, that's It doesn't matter cute. if we do it in the morning or if we do it at night, because if I have to... I work on Christmas Day again. It's okay. I also work on Christmas. I'll text you from work. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be on my phone at work. I'll text you. I'll text you at lunch. I'll text you at, at lunch. And on my break. Oh. Yeah little fuzzy thing he's got stuck in my ring. I know, they do get caught on things. That's the only downside. Yeah. I had to get used to wearing an engagement ring because now I have a scar where the point of it is. Oh, because it stabs you? Uh-huh. And because I'm clumsy. <laughs> I am the clumsiest person I know. Are you going to have a matching wedding band or like... This is actually two, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what I was going to ask is... Curtis did say that this is not my final ring. Oh, okay. I, I don't know what to expect. Does that mean a different ring or does that mean another expansion on the ring? I have no idea. Cool. Me neither. <laughs> I would assume. <laughs> I just know secrets. I know everything. Mm -hmm. That's why my hair is so long. It's full of secrets. <laughs> mean Girls. <laughs> have you seen the trailer for Mean Girls the Musical? I haven't, but I sang, um, I took a voice class in college and I sang World Burn. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Renee Rapp is Regina George, and they brought back, um, like, the OG cast, like, Lindsay oh, Lohan and uh, Lacey, I forgot her last name, that plays Gretchen, and then Amanda Seyfried and Tina Fey, they're all in it, so. Awesome. I'm really excited. So. Do you have any Christmas traditions that your family does? Um, let's see. We we're Italian. Like we we do very Italian things. So the night before Christmas, you you're supposed to do like the the feast of the seven fishes. We don't do the full feast of the seven fishes, but we do have seafood the night before. So it's okay. traditionally usually been lobster, but sometimes it'll Ooh. just it's just like any seafood we can get our hands on, honestly. <laughs> at that point so we do that and then when i was younger and i was a kid we would um go and put out glitter like confetti on mm. the sidewalk so santa would know to stop there because he'd oh, see the glitter that. and then my grandfather would call me pretending to be santa that's so cute <laughs> yeah. See, my family, we didn't have a chimney in our first house, mm -hmm. so we have this really intricate metal key that has Santa on it, mm -hmm. and we would put it on the inside of our door, because the thing is, if Santa can enter the chimney, he can, I don't know, we, put it, we would hide it with the reindeer food, mm -hmm. and then Santa would get it, and he would enter the house through the, with a key, even though it's just, it was a big key. Oh yeah. It would be magic to use it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. I've never also had a chimney because again, it's Florida. Um, so I was like, I asked my mom. I said, "How does Santa like get in?" And my mom said, "Uh, 
she said two things. She said he could either come through the attic, which doesn't make sense logistically, but I was a child. Or she said that... Uh, but coming through a chimney does make sense logistically. I, I mean, it's at least one, like, straight open pipe. Like, you can go up and down. You know what I mean? Like, the attic, there's a roof. And our attic's in our garage. So <laughs> he would just end up in the garage if he could somehow get through the roof. And then she also one year told me that she just leaves the door unlocked that night for Santa. <laughs> See, in my family, whenever we decorate the Christmas tree, we have a Spanish stew called ajiaco. Mm-hmm. And we, it doesn't matter how hot it is outside, we will always have that stew when the night we decorate the Christmas tree. Oh, that's cute. It's got, like, it's got beef. We have made it with chicken for my aunt who can't have red meat. Or too much red meat. It has platanos, potatoes, carrots, a little like a thick chunk of corn. Mm-hmm. It's corn. <laughs> a big lump of knobs. <laughs> it has the juice. <laughs> it has the stew. <laughs> <laughs> That's and then cute. There's, a, there's like an additive that you put in the soup. Mm-hmm. It's a mixture of water, a little bit of like apple cider vinegar, I think, cilantro, and a little bit of sugar. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, and it just kind of emphasizes the taste. Yeah. Now I want ajiaco. Yeah, that sounds really good. I want some of that too. Invite me over. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so what are we getting into today? We are getting into the unsolved murder of Jean-Benet Ramsey. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong one! Hold on! Which one was it? Ah! No! I don't remember what they sounded like. Sure. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> one of those was supposed to be like the spooky noise, wasn't it? Do you yeah, remember which one? Noise? Let me see it. I don't know. I thought one of them was a spooky noise. The pictures are very confusing. Sure. <laughs> Patsy Ramsey when she found <laughs> I don't know. Then we'll go with it. Sure, why not? Okay. Just I'll just push every button. Okay, continue. You're going to push all mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we love each other. So, I just want to give a trigger warning at, for, at the beginning. Today's episode is going to be hard. It may not be for everyone because the victim in this case is a child, six-year-old, and this case is still unsolved to this day. So, just keep that in mind as we discuss the case and remember that this is still an ongoing investigation so anything anything could change really Mm -hmm. and the forensic field we're going to discuss is handwriting analysis yay with the ransom note yeah i hope we do get closure on this at some point in our lifetime yeah my mom has always said whenever she dies she can't wait to start finding out the answers to all these cold cases <laughs> I'm with your mom on that one. Yep, that that's in her heaven. Is she will she will ask questions and find out all of the answers to all of these unsolved murders. All right, so handwriting analysis is called graphology, but graph analysis is considered a branch of questioned document examination. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll cover more on document examination in another episode. I just wanted to specifically focus on handwriting because that. That note is at the very center of the case. Mm -hmm. So graphology is handwriting analysis with the goal of determining the writer's personality traits. 
I do have to mention, this field is a pseudoscience because there's no scientific evidence to support that you can find out someone's personality traits from their handwriting. It's also been considered controversial for more than a century, but supporters of the field will point to like anecdotal evidence, like, oh, it was used in this case and it worked. Mm -hmm. And that's why they consider it a field, but there are no empirical studies to support this. Okay. So throughout history, experts of the field in the fields of experimental psychology and psychiatry have studied the field within the recognized science of expression. And the field was more accepted in the scientific community in the mid 20th century, but uh, recently was studied more and the validity of it as a tool to assess personality was rejected. So we're gonna look, um, more of it, look at it more as a comparative science. Okay. So the first documented case of systemic and practical observation in handwriting was in 1622 by Camilo Black. He published a book that's considered the first known graph analysis essay in the world. He discussed how the writer's nature and qualities can be discussed in simply their handwriting, but the term graphology was not coined until 19, or, my bad, 1897 by Frenchman, and I'm going to butcher this name. I am not French, so I do not how to pronounce it. It is, his name is Ab Hippolyte Jean Micon. It was then that he founded the Society of Graphology and was considered the first person to give scientific grounds to handwriting analysis. One of his apprentices, J. Crepeau Jamin, divided handwriting into four basic elements and what to look at. And that was speed, pressure, form, dimension, continuity, direction, and order. Okay. So graph analysis, like I said, trying to figure out someone's personality traits from it is a pseudoscience. But you can use it as a comparative science in the way that you don't look for personality traits, but you try to determine if the author matches the author of a known sample. Okay. And there are three stages to this process. Analysis, comparison, and evaluation. The analysis stage consists of examining the document and identifying any unique characteristics about the handwriting. An example for this could be an author who always writes in print, but all of the capital G's are written in cursive. That would be something unique because you don't see that in everyone's handwriting. Mm -hmm. And this would be considered a trait as it's not considered the majority of the population. I just said that. The characteristics could be observable, measurable, or otherwise perceptible. The second step is comparison, and this is when the expert observes the characteristics from the previous step in the question document and also looks for them in the known sample. So they would look for print and then just capital G's in cursive in the known sample from the previous example. And the third step of evaluation compares the similarities in the handwriting on the question document and the known sample and determines the weight of their significance. There is an optional fourth step, and that involves a peer review of the work, which is usually seen in the scientific method. So that way people know it's reproducible and it, it's not just a one-off thing. So the handwriting analysis can be done manually or automatically through a computer. 
doing it manually, the method is more prone to errors as well as being tiresome for the analyst. And as a result of this being tiresome work, there are some features that can be easily overlooked, which is again why the peer review is often used. So not only are features able to be overlooked, but the analysis is also not bias-free as the analyst can be subconsciously swayed by the known handwriting sample and look for those specific traits and disregard any others. So the following are some of the most important features that are analyzed in handwriting samples. It's word spacing, line spacing, page margins, alignment, pen pressure, slant, size and position of letters, movement, headings, tendencies towards right or left, observing the position as well as the shape of the I dots, and observing the position as well as the shape of the T bars. So that's a lot, mm -hmm. but everyone's handwriting is different. I've always been really good at like copying people's handwriting. Have you ever tried that? Like not in a forgery, a legal way, but like just in like a fun like. I mean, we did that as part of my forensic science class just to see how hard it is, and mm -hmm. it's really hard. Yeah, I've always been like weirdly good at fonts. Like if I see a font or if I see someone's handwriting, and as long as I can see the whole entire alphanumeric alphabet, I can copy their handwriting. That's insane. Yeah. I knew one kid in middle school, and his whole stick was that he could copy John Hancock's signature perfectly. That was his whole personality. Why? I don't know. He'd sign everything John Hancock. <laughs> okay, well, we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> it's a whole different episode. Yeah. And then the automatic analysis of handwriting through a computer is quicker, less prone to bias, and can actually limit the number of errors. The one of the one of the most popular systems used is computer-aided graphology, and it uses the following steps. It first scans the paper, it processes the image, so it has all of the information. It, it has feature extraction, so it picks out all the unique parts of the handwriting and puts them like together in a bank with others, and it analyzes the features. So the first step, self-explanatory, scanning. Mm -hmm. Processing the image involves cropping the image and changing the color scale to better view the handwriting. Feature extraction is when the image is separated into segments where the features are more easily studied. Analyzing the features is when the segments extracted are subjected to interpretation. This can then be printed and, and stored as evidence. In the beginning of the creation of these computer systems, cursive writing was a lot more difficult to analyze, but now there are systems that can recognize it. Okay. I never thought about that because most people don't write in cursive, but it makes sense to have yeah. a, sec like a, a program to do that. Mm -hmm. Do you have any questions about the handwriting before we dive into the case? No, but I do have an interesting fun fact about... I am ready. Sort of tangentially related. You know, like those CAPTCHA things with the squiggly letters and mm -hmm. stuff? When those first came out, it, they actually... The letters and numbers that they used were actually old text that could not be recognized by people or computers very well. So they used them as those images to get other people to decode it in order to be able to translate texts that had otherwise would not be translated to this day. 
Where did you learn that? I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I remember, like, reading it somewhere. That was, like, the original reason why they... I mean, it was for a security reason, but the guy who created that security thought to kind of kill two birds with one stone, which was, look at these letters the computer can't recognize. Let's see if you can. Like, <laughs> whenever I think of those capture things, I just think of John Mulaney. Prove! Prove you're not <laughs> a robot. robot. Yeah. <laughs> the number of times I fail those things, I'm like, oh my god, make them easier. <laughs> I overthink the image ones. Oh, I, I know. The classic, yeah. check off the images that have a street light, yeah. and you have just like one tiny, tiny little technically that counts but does it count is the computer gonna count it because it's just a few pixels i'm sure there's like some margin of error where if it's on a a nine nine square grid it's like as long as you get eight out of the nine maybe it's okay i don't know i don't know how it works but i hate when they like make you do it multiple times and you're like are you making me do it multiple times because that's your how it's coded or because i'm wrong exactly (laughs) (laughs) and i'll never know the answer Sorry, okay. We're good. <laughs> that, that was related. That was really interesting. I, I did not know that at all. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of te- old texts that were transcribed by the people, in, in essence. <laughs> I forgot you even had that noise. <laughs> I love how Riley is using my couch as a table for his treat. Yeah. He, uh, he also likes to use me as a napkin when he's done eating. He'll rub his face all over me like a napkin. <laughs> My dog will leave, likes to leave an offering to the gods, as we call it. Uh-huh. She'll have her food. She'll have her food bowl, pick some up in her mouth, drop it next to her food bowl, and then go back and eat from the food bowl. Does she eat the food off the floor? Sometimes. Oh. <laughs> and then she will never eat a treat unless it's over carpet. Oh, that's This is the other dog. She'll take it and run through the house until she gets to carpet. You better clean up all of those crumbs from that couch. Actually, the couch gets reupholstered. He'll he'll figure it out. Maybe. So you'll eat my Pringles, but you won't eat that. He'll come back to it. He's pretty he's pretty good about that stuff. Okay. You ready to get into the case? I'm ready. Stop yawning. We are. It's nap time. What time is it? Three. It is my nap time. (laughs) (laughs) The best naps are the ones you take after breakfast. (laughs) My mom told me that, and I tried it, and it is very true. Is it? I've never done that before. You got a full belly, you feel content. Interesting. Alright, so let's get into the case. Alright. So Jean-Marie Ramsey was born on August 6th in 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia parents Patricia or Patsy Ramsey and John Bennett Ramsey. I always was confused. Like, your name's John Bennett, but you name your kid Jean Bennet, which is a very similar spelling. Yeah. You know what? Not my kid, so I can't have a say in that. It's also weird because they had an older kid, and if you wanted to name a kid after the dad, why didn't you yeah, just... Yeah, the older kid is named Burke. I know, that's what I'm saying. Why didn't you just name your first son John Bennett Jr. JBJ? For sure. So as I said, she had an older brother named Burke. He was three years older. Jean Monnet was very active in beauty pageants and won the following titles. America's Royal Miss, Little Miss Charlevoix, Little Miss Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, that's a long one, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. She was OG Toddlers and Tiaras. Yes. 
before Honey Boo Boo. On the morning of December 26, 1996, Patsy found a random note. Random note? <laughs> ah, this note, so random, how did it get here? I did not leave it here, neither did my husband. Where did this note fall upon us? <laughs> so Patsy found a ransom note on the kitchen stairs inside the Ramsey residence. And I'm going to read to you exactly what the note said. All right. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but between we and respect, the word do is crossed out. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. Pun intended, I guess. Um, you, w you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 will be in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate-sized attaché to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier delivery, with the word crossed out, pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, and it's signed SBTC. So that was the note that was found in their kitchen. And that morning they were also unable to find their daughter, JonBenet Ramsey. You said it was in the kitchen? On the kitchen stairs. The kitchen stairs. So okay. Like stairs inside the inside the house. Oh. Levels. Oh, okay. Weird. Okay. Yeah. So despite the note advising against calling the authorities, when Patsy could not find her daughter, she called the police at 5.52 a.m. And by 5.56 a.m., police were on scene. They did a cursory search to look for any signs of forced entry, but found none. It should be noted, though, that a police officer passed by the outside of the wooden basement door but did not investigate further as they observed the door to be locked with a wooden hatch. It was not further investigated at this point because police were only looking for signs of forced entry. 
The deputy that did pass by that door, he later said that he, and I quote, even paused for a moment in front of that door, but walked away. What? Yeah. What? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Frustration just, noises. Just, just look. Just. Well, they were, they were looking for signs of forced entry, and the door was latched. Yeah, but do do better. <laughs> so, because of that no one searched the basement that morning at all. But okay, that's part of the okay. That's part of the house. It was not until about seven hours later at 1 p.m. when John Benet Ramsey was found. The only part of the house that was cordoned off was her bedroom. Before that, so that means family and friends were free to walk around the other parts of the house. No. Between the hours of getting the note and finding her. No. <laughs> Don't walk through a crime scene. The detectives instructed John and his friends to search the house to see if anything was disturbed. The first place they went to check was the basement. Jean Benet's body was found on the ground in the basement of the Ramsey residence at 1.05 p.m. She had duct tape on her mouth, a nylon cord creating a garrote, garrot, garrot, a nylon cord creating a garrot with part of a paintbrush around her neck, nylon cords around her wrists, and a white blanket over her torso, as well as wearing the clothes that she went to bed in. It's a tough case, isn't it? Yeah, it's I really know. sad. The next paragraph is going to be a bit of a trigger warning at the beginning because it mentions possible sexual assault, so okay. here's your trigger warning. By the time she was found, her arms were above her head as rigor mortis had set in. Upon finding her body, John took the tape off of her mouth, picked up her body, and ran upstairs carrying her, which unfortunately contaminated the crime scene in the process. Yeah. An autopsy of her body revealed that she died of asphyxiation from strangulation and a skull fracture with the official cause of death being, and I quote, asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. There was no evidence of a conventional rape as there was no semen, but there was evidence of vaginal injury and male DNA and urine in JonBenet's underwear. The pathologist also documented that it looked like her vaginal area had been wiped with a cloth before she was found. That's frustrating. Yeah. Because it shows you someone did something and obviously tried to clean Covered it up and hide. Mm -hmm. The nylon cord that created a garrot. Mm -hmm. Garrot, yeah. The nylon cord that created a garrot with the broken handle of a paint was with a broken handle of a paintbrush. The part of the brush with the bristles was found in Patsy's art supplies, and the third piece has never been found. The autopsy also showed that Jean Benet had pineapple in her stomach that she had eaten hours prior. One thing I would like to point out is that there was a bowl of pineapple and a spoon found on the kitchen table, but Patsy and John claimed to not remember putting the bowl there or feeding her pineapple. Police did find fingerprints from belonging to her older brother, Burke, but their parents have maintained that Burke slept through the entire night and only awoke, only awoke several hours after the police arrived. And allegedly, a practice ransom note was found in the kitchen trash can. Just a lot of weird. Also, there were no footprints observed in the snow the first time the police went out there. Oh, like leading up to the house? Okay. 
But it had just snowed, and they since you had rigor mortis set in, right? It could have covered it's up. Unable, it's completely unable to tell. So now we're going to get into some basics of the ransom note. I will take this time to let you guys know I will be putting up the link to a Google document in our Instagram, in one of our Instagram stories. So for any visual learners, you'll be able to see the note itself and exactly the different characteristics that we talk about for the note. So yeah, the main part of this episode is analysis of the ransom notes, so let's dive in. The note itself was handwritten about three pages in length and was 376 words. The first thing about the note that raised suspicion was that the paper used was torn out of Patsy's own notebook and it was her pen that was used to write the note. The note having been found in the kitchen also suggests that the killer, that the ransom note was written inside the Ramsey residence. That's a long note. Three pages of note written inside the house. I don't think it's like printer page size, but like a smaller notebook. But it was like two and a half like notebook pages. That's still a lot. Of, 300 and what, what you said? 76. 300, almost 400 words. That's a lot of words. And that's an essay. And it was 36 lines. That's an essay. You're writing an essay in someone's home. Like, the, who has time to do that? And especially if you said there was a practice one in the trash can. So that means whoever did this obviously spent time and felt yeah. comfortable spending time in the residence. Right. Like, that had to take at least, like, 30 to 45 minutes, and that's if you're fast. you got to be a fast writer then. Yeah. So probably more than an hour. So the ransom amount listed in the note was highly suspicious because it matched the Christmas bonus that John had received the year prior. Mm -hmm. Kidnappers will usually ask for a larger sum of money, and that also made this request seem very specific and very odd to investigators. Yeah, what was it, 118? 118,000. Yeah, that's like, why not 500? Why not 100? Why not 150? You know what I mean? Like, usually even numbers make sense, but 118 is not really like an even number. Police claim that the wording of the note also indicates an, it also indicates an inside job because in line eight, it reads, you will withdraw $118,000 from your account. Again, it's oddly specific, and suggest the suspect knew enough about the Ramseys to know they would have at least that amount in their account. Right. Not just in assets, but actually in their account. Like cash in the account. At this point in time, investigators did begin to think that the crime was an inside job and that John or Patsy likely could have written the note. The grammar of the note suggests that the author is well-educated, but wanted investigators to think that the author is uneducated or foreign, in reference to line 3 reading a small foreign fraction, and this can be deduced by looking at the spelling of some words. For example, the words business and possessions were misspelled, but the words deviation and attaché were spelled correctly, even having the accent on the E in attaché. Okay. So if you're if you're uneducated, why would you be able to uh, to spell more difficult words correctly? Mm-hmm. But you can't spell business or possessions. You wouldn't even use the word attaché if you mm-hmm. weren't educated. I'm educated, I and never I wouldn't use even. That word on yeah, this episode. that's what I'm saying. Like I would never even use that word. <laughs> so this next part will probably be the toughest to describe over a podcast because 
our listeners don't have necessarily a visual, which is why I'll be creating the document for Instagram. Riley. Oh, because he's, go he's going after Gibby's stick that he didn't finish. Why did you not finish your stick? Now your brother's going to eat it. So I, I, will be placed, I will be putting the link to this Google document under the story highlights entitled links. So that way if you do want to follow along during the episode, you are able to. I hope that helps the visual learners out there. I apologize, my co-host, I didn't have that prepared today. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope I can do a good enough job explaining it. Sorry, continue. So they started by obtaining a handwriting sample from each family member present, at the, present in the house at the time of the murder. It should be stated they were unable to positively, with 100% certainty, match any of the notes, any of the samples to the note. Okay. The entire ransom note switches back and forth between normal print and cursive, or script writing. It switches at random points in the note, as if being done subconsciously by the author. And the two styles of writing are seen across all the alphabet alphabetical letters, not just specific ones. So the letter A, as an alpha, is of particular interest because it is written in four different variations, each with a different kind of flourish added to the top of each letter. Some examples of the variations include, include a cursive style and a manuscript style. The author frequently switched between the four variations throughout the ransom note, and these variations are also seen in Patsy's handwriting sample. The letter T, as in tango, is often seen connecting directly to the next letter in the word. So an example of this would be the cross stroke of the T connecting to the letter E as an echo. I just got used to saying letters and phonetics because it's hard to do that over the radio at work, mm -hmm. dispatching. <laughs> Another example is when the letter H, as in hotel, follows the T. Again, you'll see the cross stroke of the T connecting to the H. Yet another letter connection that can be seen commonly is, is the letter E as an echo. The tail end of it, the lowercase e, will connect to the next letter in the word. The letter A as an alpha connects to the next letter as well and is usually seen in the horizontal stroke of the capital letter A that's connected to the next letter in the word. Okay. Are these making sense so far how I'm describing them? Yeah. Okay. Of the multiple ways that you can write the letter Y as in Yankee, the letter in the ransom note is written with a U-shaped arc, and then to the right, directly followed by a straight line down. Okay, so, so it looks like a... write Y, like, like, kind of like, it looks like a V in, like, the diagonal line. Yeah. This is just a U and a line straight down. Okay. The capital letters in the ransom note are also seen to have an overhang on the left-hand side of the vertical line instead of starting at the top of the line. I don't know what that means. So it like goes like below part of the line and then goes up. Oh. So like if the line is here, the mm -hmm. A would probably go like that. Oh, okay. So it dips below like the, okay, the horizon. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And, and that's instead of starting like a B at the top of the line, mm -hmm. it'd be at the bottom. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, the capital letters... I just said that, didn't I? I did. 
<laughs> um, the letter I is in India is written with a sweeping motion to the right, so it forms a little hook, hook. on the bottom. Mm -hmm. I write some my eyes like that. Yeah, I do too. So all the characteristics I listed were are seen in the ransom note, but they were also all seen in the handwriting sample of Patsy. But I do need to remind you that just because there are similarities, this does not mean that she wrote the note. And there are still conflicting views on whether or not handwriting analysis is founded in science. Because this is an open case, I'm going to make it. Riley! He's distressed about the note, too. <laughs> it's okay. I just want to distress the fact that just because there are similarities does not mean she wrote the sample. Because this is still an open case. And I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble for defamation because that is not my point at all. I'm just trying to focus on the facts. Right. That it was seen in both. Before we go into the theories and evidence supporting them, I do want to let you know that as much as I would love to go into detail about every piece of evidence in this infamous case, that would end up with the podcast being hours long because police and investigators recovered over 250 pieces of evidence. Holy cow. That's a lot. So we're just going to go over the main pieces of evidence as well as two theories. <coughs> Boil down to two general ideas. An intruder as the culprit of the crime or the crime being an inside job or cover-up. So there's a lot of different branches under that, but those are the, that's the gist of them. As you hear the theories, you'll begin to understand why the case remains unsolved just when you think the evidence points to one theory or one person, other evidence is going to point to the other. All right. You'll really see why this remains unsolved and it's infamous. Mm -hmm. So there are pieces of evidence that support the intruder theory. If you remember, Jean Monnet was found with duct tape over her mouth, yet investigators were unable to find a roll of duct tape matching it within the entire Ramsey residence. Okay. <clears throat> So they could not find like the style or the color, any a roll of that anywhere in the Ramsey residence. And when they do these checks, they do check the trash cans. So, so it is unlikely that John Patsy simply threw out the police because, as I said, the police went through the entire house looking for the tape. The biggest piece of evidence that supports the intruder theory is the unknown male DNA that was found under Jean Benet's fingernails and in her underwear. It did not match John Bennett Ramsey's or Burke Ramsey's. Okay. So like I said, it has been compared at the time, but it is not a match to any of them. A broken window was found in the basement, and leaves were found there at the t were found like just inside the window at the time of the crime. Mm -hmm. And packing peanuts were found outside the window and inside the room as well. Is that like? Someone stepped on packing peanuts and then They left. just happened to be in the area. Because remember, this is the day after Christmas, so people opened a lot of presents. They oh. could be packing peanuts everywhere. Oh, okay. In people's trash cans. Okay, I gotcha. I lost my space. Although it is unknown why the broken window was not observed during the initial search for forced entry. Because remember, they did search. They found no sign of forced entry. The pieces of glass were even found around a suitcase that was in the room under the floor, under the floor, under the window, as if someone had stepped on it or used that to step down or step up into it. 
Either way, the broken glass was found inside the residence, which does show that the window was broken with force coming from the outside going inside, because if someone from the inside tried to break it, it's more likely that the glass will be outside. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. The leaves outside the window were found to be disturbed as well. Some belongings of unknown origin were also found inside the residence, such as a flashlight that was found on the kitchen counter, a canvas bag found in the crawl space, and a red pocket knife in the basement. The family could not identify where any of these items came from, leading investigators to believe it was an intruder that left behind items. A boot print was also found near Jean Benet's body, and it did not match anyone within the Ramsey residence. They didn't say much whether it was the size that didn't match or the shoe print didn't match any of their shoes. But either way, whatever they looked at, it did not match anyone in the Ramsey residence. Mm-hmm. So that's not all the evidence that supports this theory, as there's, there's just way too much to discuss in one episode. Um, and there were quite a few suspects, which is why I'm only listing theories, not just the suspects. But if you would like another episode that goes in-depth on the suspects and the evidence and more in-depth on the evidence, just let us know through the comments or by email and we can definitely make an episode just on the suspects. Mm-hmm. So this, I will start this off by saying the second theory is no longer an official theory because in 2008, the Boulder City DA office officially exonerated the family of the case. Meaning, legally, the family is not, are not suspects at all anymore. Okay. That's why it took me so long to write this episode, because I did have to take great care to not be biased towards one theory or the other, especially because the family was legally cleared. Right. Some people, even some Boulder Police Department detectives, still consider the Ramsey, the Ramsey family persons of interest. We're going to go over some of the evidence that leads them to think why, Remember, they are no lo- the family is no longer considered persons of interest. I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> a retired FBI profiler stated that, and I quote, statistically, it is a 12 to 1 probability that it is a family member or caregiver who is involved in the homicide of a child. And that makes sense because in most child murders, it is a family member because that's who they're in contact with. It's very rarely a stranger, just like for kidnappings, it's very rarely a stranger kidnapping. It's usually familial. Mm-hmm. Police claim... So that was the biggest reason why the Ramses were suspects in the first place. And police claim another reason they suspected the family is that because they were uncooperative with them initially. To investigators, it came off as the Ramseys not wanting to solve their daughter's death. Patsy and John did claim, though, that their lack of cooperation was due to them being scared that a full investigation would not be done for intruders if the family was suspected. I can understand that that line of thinking. Like, you want to make sure they cover all their bases. Right. I could see both sides. Yeah. I can also see why they should should have cooperated, but again, hindsight's 20-20. Right. One thing in particular that people say support the inside job theory is that in the broken window, there was an intact spider web found in the corner. 
And normally if you break through a window and try to enter through a window, why would there be a spider web? Right. So many say it would be impossible for the, for the suspect to have come through the broken window. Some experts also claim to have heard Burke's voice in the background of the 911 call. Despite his parents claiming that he was asleep during that time. I'm not going to go further into the family, into the family theory because the majority of evidence is circumstantial. And again, they were cleared of any wrongdoing in 2008 and there have been defamation lawsuits that that have dragged on. The family's been interviewed multiple times, so. Mm-hmm. That's the JonBenet Ramsey case. Wow, that was very good. I like the, I didn't know that much about handwriting analysis prior to that. I know that like a lot of people suspected the mom because like the similarities between. Right, and it, it is weird that there's a lot of evidence that points to an inside job, but it also could have been staged. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, um, yeah, it's a very weird ransom note. Yeah, and people that criticize John Bennett Ramsey for picking up his daughter and contaminating the scene, there are people who claim that he did it on purpose to contaminate the scene, but also, he's a grieving parent and yeah. you find your child like that, you're not thinking straight. He was probably in shock and was just trying to get his daughter to the detectives, not yeah. thinking about preserving the scene yeah he's a grieving father like everyone grieves differently yeah i don't i don't blame him for that that and behavior. there are some interviews with burke that people say oh he has weird behavior so it must be him but you also have to think he was nine when this happened so he spent the rest of his life he's still alive he has spent the majority of his life being suspected of killing his sister mm-hmm. so he's not gonna have normal behaviors that everyone would assume he's gonna have adapted differently right and i was gonna say he's nine he's a kid too exactly so a lot of people think that one of the theories for an inside job could be that maybe burke overreacted or something and caused the death and the parents tried to cover it up but again they were clear of wrongdoing it's just a lot of evidence pointing in a lot of different directions. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of those cases that's, like, kind of all <clears throat> over the place. Yeah, so that's why it's been so hard to figure out the culprit behind it, because it's such a complex case. Yeah, well, well, thank you. That was very informative, and definitely, if you'd like us to go more in-depth, let us know on Instagram, at... Live, laugh, liver mortis, or you can email at us at llivermortis at gmail.com. And we and have a ticket. You can listen to the podcast. I mean, you know where to listen because you're listening now, but we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and yeah, Amazon Music. Yep. I will say there is there has been talk recently about retesting the DNA found on Jean Benet Ramsey, mm-hmm. but apparently there's such a little amount left. If another if another test is done, it, it takes up the rest of the sample. So police are trying to weigh their options. Like, do we want to use it now? Use it like use it completely up, so we have nothing to compare it to in the future. Or are we going to wait for future technology to? Yeah, evolve? I've I've seen that with a, another case too, where they have to make that decision. 
if you would like to see more lighthearted things <laughs> follow our tiktok at live.laugh.liver with an or and uh thank you for another wonderful episode and thank you all for listening thank you and um, stay safe on your holidays like i said for the thanksgiving one we don't want to have to cover you on one of our episodes yeah. I hope you guys have a wonderful, well, it's, this will be after Christmas, so I hope you guys have a, had a wonderful Christmas, and have a very, very safe New Year's. And safe, please. Yes, please be safe out there. Alright, so this has been another episode of Live, Laugh, Live, or Mortis. Mortis.